Hey fellow tennis nerds, I have a Zoom call with my buddy Nathan Martin of Members Fitness. Uh, they focus on tennis fitness. Nathan and his wife, they've worked with Leighton Hewitt, Martina Navratilova, Casey Delacqua, bunch of, of great players on both the men's and women's side of tennis. They know a lot. They have these uh, programs uh, that they sell online that I've been using and I've now become an affiliate. So if you buy any of the programs through one of my links, uh, I get a small commission, which helps tennis nerds stay alive. So thanks if you do that. But uh, I really appreciate Nathan's expertise and I wanted to talk to him about the situation in Australia with uh, what happened with the quarantine and players being uh, locked in for, for uh, two weeks and how that would affect their preparation and their bodies and minds. Uh, so we talk about that. We also talk about what us recreational or club level players can learn and implement from the pros in our uh, tennis routine or daily or weekly. Depends on how much time you have on your hands, but small tips that we can take and learn and uh, implement in our routines around the tennis court, uh, no matter what level we're on. Find that really useful. Uh, we also talk about injury prevention. It's one of the main courses I've been working on recently uh, from Nathan's uh, programs. Uh, it's the injury prevention yoga course. I, I do 30 minutes every day with foam rolling, uh, the stretch, dynamic stretching, some trigger point therapy. Uh, I use also this uh, massage gun from Ake The Way Pro. All kinds of things just to make sure I can play more tennis and without getting injured. Uh, I, I say it all the time, I'm not the youngest guy uh, anymore, so I need to make sure my body stays healthy. And that's why I've uh, used Nathan's programs and find them really useful. And I uh, turn to him when there's situations around uh, the physical side of tennis. So I hope you find this podcast uh, entertaining and interesting. Let's dive straight into my conversation with Nathan. Thanks again to Nathan for uh, participating and being a, a good sport. Thanks, tennis nerds. Have a nice day. And don't forget to play some tennis. All right, Jonas. Great to see you again. Um, thanks for organizing this call with me. I'm looking forward to having a chat with you today and speaking to your community as well. Hello, everyone out there. Um, I've been following um, Jonas for a long time. I love what he's doing in the tennis community. And uh, it's, it's great to be a part of it. Thanks. Likewise, likewise, Nathan. Uh, I I uh, definitely uh, follow and work with your courses as well. I find it really helpful for me, who kind of is an ambitious um, rec player, but yeah. who play a lot of tennis and try to work with my injuries. One of the things I have right now is some forearm pain because of changing rackets all the time. So I have to always kind of manage <laughs> manage injury. I have to do um, a lot. Of, I have a massage gun. I have a lot of. Uh, I have a flex bar. I go to the gym. Uh, but I, it's not that easy to find that the best approach to manage injury and to deal yeah. with your off-court training as well. Uh, although I have a pretty decent idea what to do when I'm on the tennis court, but still, it's it's not that easy to understand what what kind of training would benefit me the most and other players the most when I'm off the court. Yeah. So maybe you have any tips there, like where what what where should you start? Where what should you look at when you're um, when you're faced with, you have some time to actually train. Maybe you can't play tennis right now because of COVID or, or whatever, but you need to make sure your your muscles and everything stay in good shape. Well, look, depending, that's a great question. And, you know, when COVID broke out initially, Giselle and I and our team, we, we tried to scramble together to put together a program that was specific for players to do at home, um, our total tennis home workout. 
and that had a great response. I think we sold more of those than we have of any other program in our history. So it showed us that the need was there and that people, obviously, if you were in lockdown, it was like, wow, what am I going to do? I'm actually quite fit and I've been doing well on the court. People wanted to maintain that. If not, somehow try to improve their physicality. So it really comes down to what you have at your disposal, what resources you have. If you're housebound, it's a lot harder, but there are still a lot of things you can do. One thing that I recommend people do if you are um, restricted to being inside, um, it's trying to do something three times a day. If you're working, um, if you think normally if you work and you have to leave your home to go to work and you have to get home from work, there's time. So we, in the positive of being stuck inside is we've got more time on our hands at our disposal, so we can utilise that time to work on our fitness, work on our flexibility. So scheduling in three times a day, generally in the morning, around lunchtime and then in the afternoon. They don't have to be like crazy sessions. You'd probably do like one big session a day. And then the other session, maybe one would be more flexibility and mobility in the afternoon. And the morning one could be more like a cardio-based workout. It could just be, you know, doing some skipping intervals in the morning. Lunchtime could be more like a like a strength circuit or like a, a basic sort of movement kind of circuit if you've got a small space at home and then doing your stretching and mobility at night. And I generally find that just helps people be really consistent through the day. Um, mm-hmm. so that Total Tennis Home Workout program we created, we put a yoga um, workout in, we put some stretching and mobility, and then like a main session people could do in the day as well. Um, and it's really just, look, how much benefit you're going to get being stuck inside and doing, you know, what you can it's hard to quantify, but in all reality, we're much better off physically doing whatever we can and also more mentally, um, keeping yourself active, keeping the brain stimulated, getting the focus off what's going on. And then when you do eventually get back on the court, you're going to be able to draw a lot of confidence from what you have done with your time and, and you'll be proud of yourself as well. Yeah, you can build like a more positive um, routine, I think, that, that will help you feel better about yourself. That's, that's what I try to do when, when we were in lockdown here. It was, that was almost a year ago now, but it was a, a still a period where, where you had to kind of find a way to work out yeah. every day. And it also, I mean, work, working out always helps your mental part as well, not only the physical part, which is very important, especially in, in COVID times, yeah. uh, but also on the tennis court. I, I, I heard Novak talked a lot about how he works with his uh, mental side of things, the visualization, he does that every day, for example, uh, besides how he completely changed his fitness regime after 2011, when he actually became kind of a different player, I think. So those two things work in such an important combination and to, to uh, address them both, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. And look, we were, we were only discussing before, before we started recording this, how, um, you know, what players, what recreational players can do to, I guess, train similar to a professional, like what can they do that a professional player would do to help them become better? Yeah. And I think one thing, that, and I think Novak typifies this, this point is um, it's trying to work on your weaknesses, find out what they are and improve them, whether it's your flexibility, whether it's your endurance, finding out what they, generally speaking, people know. People know what's holding them back physically. 
And for Novak, it was his, his nutrition. So he worked out that he didn't respond well to eating gluten. So he changed his diet. That's when he was having all those breathing issues. When he got to a certain point of exertion, he was getting the stomach cramps. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up working out that he was slightly gluten intolerant and he's done work in that space to help with his nutrition. And he also, yeah, started doing a lot more work um, with his visualization, with his mental, mental fitness. And I think that's where he's had the biggest breakthrough over a lot of the other players is his nutrition. I mean, he, they all hit the ball so well at that level. It's all just trying yeah. to find these little things where he found a couple of big things. You know, he found how he can make himself feel a lot better physically and mentally from doing things that he doesn't do on court. It's just changing his nutrition and, and doing some stuff away from the court to help him feel more balanced. Mm-hmm. It's been amazing for him. I mean, what he did the other night, that was crazy. Like, he just won that match. He just, you know, I think he would have beaten anybody. Yeah, yeah. It looked so effort, calm and, oh, it was crazy. I think, I mean, one of the things he that's pretty noticeable with him, if we take him as an example, is that he's he's quite slim and slender and he doesn't seem to go a lot to the gym to, to build any yeah. kind of huge muscle mass. Uh, and he's, he's very much focused on uh, flexibility. Like that's, uh, that seems to be, uh, I mean, with the yoga. And I, I know Andy Murray does yoga as well and so on. Um, how would you, you kind of compare these approaches to maybe players that look to bulk up more, that they go more to, to do strength training in the gym? Yeah. Uh, you can definitely tell why the different, I mean, there's obviously body type issues but, or differences, but uh, there's also an approach uh, difference here. You know, it's, it's funny because science, so sports science, tells us that strength is the foundation of the best development. So if we have a good strength base, it helps across the board with flexibility, mobility, um, strength of the muscle, support of the joints, power production, um, even endurance, acceleration. The data is the very strong on that having that strength base. And the funny thing is, if I look at the top 100 players, I mean, I think you could ask most people that have a good general idea about physical training, do you think Medvedev is doing a very heavy strength program? I would say no. Do you think Novak would be lifting, like, his body weight squatting? He, he wouldn't be. There's probably about maybe 20% of the top 100, maybe 30% of players are training like that. And I think over time, it will get to 50%, 60%. And I think we'll start to see, even though this is a big claim, I think we will start to see athletes become even better than they are now. Um, but I've seen Novak do some training in person and also on, on, on social media. And just because of my background, just watching how he's landing, watching what's going on with his ankle, his knees, his body, I can tell straight away that he doesn't do a lot of strength work. Mm. Um, but yet the guy's number one in the world quite easily at the moment. So, you know, then like you said, you do get some some um, players that do have a heavy focus on lifting weights and it's, you know, it works for them. Um, we always generally encourage our players to do some kind of strength work, but we try to get them to do a lot more what we call unilateral work, which is, working on things more of a split stance 
um, more like pushing with one arm, stepping out with one leg, rather than sort of doing heavy back squats and things like that. So getting them into similar positions they would be on court, strengthening up those positions and trying to get more connection from upper body, the core and the lower body through the movement. I mean, if we look at golf, for example, uh, what happened in, in golf, I'm not like a, a huge avid golfer, but I, I followed a little bit. Uh, it's that like players now are so much more physically fit. Like there, there's, there's some players there that have like, pretty big biceps, they look like they actually work out quite a lot and they hit the ball much further than they did before. And before you, I mean, in the eighties, you could have these guys that were, you know, overweight, like heavily overweight. They were playing golf on the tour yeah. and look more laborious, obviously, but, but it was how the sport was. And now it's, it's changed quite drastically to, I mean, starting with Tiger Woods, I guess, like players look a lot more fit and it seems to help as well. I mean, obviously if you're more fit, you will also be more mentally strong because you're not, um, you have more energy in your body and, and so on. Uh, so you think we will see a difference in tennis players as I well? I think we'll see the, the main focus for any strength and conditioning trainer is, is to help the player become stronger and what we call stronger and longer. So we want to lean, we want to get them lean and strong, and which is, which is highly possible. We don't, we don't want to bulk players up. So we don't want to get players going through what we call um, too many hypertrophy phases where they're putting on muscle mass. We want to get the muscles strong, but we don't necessarily want to get them bigger. So if you look at Milos Raonic, for example, he's a very big yeah. guy and he's actually, he's actually put a bit of weight on now, you can see, because he's getting a bit older. He can't push mm-hmm. his body as hard because of his past injuries and it's affected him over the past five years. He's affected his game. He's going to have periods where he plays really good and then you're going to find he's going to get an injury. And that's purely because he's such a big guy and the nature of tennis, the stop-start, when you're competing against the Novak Djokovic, who he turns the fence into attacks, every time he hits a ball back to you, it's almost like an attacking shot. So all of a sudden you've got to defend more, even though, even though you're a, more of a power player. The big guys just struggle because they're so heavy and it takes so much wear and tear on their body. So the body shape... I think he's going to continue to get like your Novaks, like your Medvedevs, like your Zarevs. Now we look at the, the body shape of these guys, and you've, I don't know if you've noticed, but Rafa's actually trimmed down a lot over the yeah, past yeah, five years. Yeah. Um, as he realised himself, he needs, to, he needs to do that. He needs to try and drop a bit of muscle mass and keep himself strong. So the body mm-hmm. shape's definitely changing from when we had, you know, your Burdiches and your, your John Isners and your Sam Queries. I know those guys are still around, but it's hard for them to stay at that top level for a long, long time with their bodies. It's just big, 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 heavy bodies moving around dynamically on a court. So if we compare that to golf, where you're walking up to a ball, you're hitting the ball really dynamically, but then all of a sudden you're walking for two or three minutes again. You compare that to the nature of tennis, which is almost like a cross between golf and basketball, and it's played on a hard surface a lot of the time. So the wear and tear on the body is very different, and that impacts the evolution of the tennis body. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, we've seen that with, with uh, the top guys now being all pretty lean and yeah. mean, right? We have yeah, everything are. from Roger, you know, who doesn't look like he has a muscle, but obviously is stronger than he looks, you know, and, and, and Novak, and they, they all they all look yeah. pretty, you have Zverev, you have Medvedev, they, they're pretty lanky, but they're probably stronger than they look, right? So I, I Look would, at Sitsipas. Sitsipas is, mm. is like the ideal 
tennis build. Yeah, it's a specimen, right? Yeah. He's 6'2", 6'3", early 20s. You know, he's got good leg strength. He's got great core strength. And he's, he's, you can see he's got a little bit of muscle mass on there to protect the body. You know, he's in, he's in great stead. He's, he's mm-hmm. going gonna, gonna to be around for a long time. Yeah, yeah, because you need like you need a strong but but not too heavy body, right? Yeah. I think that's what I take out from your yeah, your uh, height. When he moves, he's nice and light, which is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to move. Like if you have a little weight, you you wanna put more strain on the knees and all the joints as well of your body. So I think you have uh, more injuries coming your way, right? Even if you yeah, well, Jonas. One thing people don't realize is when you look at the nature of tennis. Everyone focuses on speed and acceleration, but that's 50% of movement. The other 50% yeah. it's slowing down, it's deceleration and then transitioning. So it's slowing down in that moment where you stop and then you go to move again, the transition. Um, and not many people do work in that space. And it's really important because we actually burn it's a lot more taxing on the body to slow down than it is to accelerate. But if we're not training on training deceleration, just acceleration, we will get quicker, but the body still will get fatigued quite quickly if we're not working on deceleration off the court. And that, that in effect, affects your acceleration because you get fatigued, so you're not, you're not accelerating as quick. And, and so to put it in perspective, when we schedule... Um, deceleration training we'd only make it if we were running an agility session um, we'd only probably allow 20 percent of that session to be deceleration because of how how taxing it is on the body Uh, okay yeah you have to i mean obviously you have to work out as well with some thinking around what you're doing to your body when you're working out it's just building up it's it's also some some workouts are pretty rough, right? So you're putting your body under a lot of strain. Exactly. If you're an ambitious rec player, what 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 should you work on mainly? Do you think? Do you, what what's the biggest mistake that that uh, players do that you see on the club level? All right, I'll give you a big tip. Warm up well, and when you walk on court, be ready from the first ball. If it's a practice session, you're going to get 20 percent more out of the session so you're going to get better 20 percent quicker don't get on the court and just hit the ball down the middle and fluff around it's better if you can get straight on and straight into the session particularly if if you're paying for a coaching session Mm -hmm. be ready to go Um, and that involves doing some mobility so mobility is hugely important in regards to um, preparing your body so mobility is doing like a range of um, movements where we're opening up a chain of movement rather than just sort of stretching. It's more about um, using multiple joints, which is really what we do in tennis. When you when you step out to an open hand forehand, there's a lot going on through the body with the chain of movement. And we want to start to mimic that in our warm-up so that when you get on court, your body feels like, yep, I'm in a good position. And this happens subconsciously if you've done... Um, a good mobility preparation. So we have um, a lot of mobility work in a lot of our online programs that we sell, and that's the reason we put them in there is to make sure people are are following some kind of system. Um, So the other thing would be the the most important areas for people to cover is doing, you know, warming up effectively and then off the court um, doing some kind of strength work, whether it's just body weight work, 
um, some band work or following like a structured program is really important. And most all of our programs that we have online are geared around, there's always a strength component in there for us. It's, it's the foundation. So the, the mobility and the warm-up, the strength work. And in regards to, to movement, um, a lot of people think that agility is going to help with their movement on court. But what's important to note is if you're prepared well and your body's strong and your body's mobile, I believe you should get a big chunk of your movement during your on-court work. So if you're being aggressive with your movement and you're um, concentrating on your reaction and really pushing yourself on court, your body will respond to that. Initially, your body will get fatigued, but through the law of what we call adaptation, the body will respond, it will adapt, and your body will lift up to that next level. So the agility exercises that we put into our programs, um, they encourage people to work at a higher threshold than they probably will on court. So that when they get on court, they go, okay, my body is used to moving quicker than this. I need to step up. But it's important to have the right mindset around the movement to be able to encourage your body to want to move at that next level. So it's just that intensity, um, the, the movement intensity. I think if people focus on those three areas, mobilising the body and preparing it, being ready to go, doing some kind of strength work during the week and then, um, you know, doing some agility work but trying to get that to transition into your on-court work and be a lot more intense and upbeat on-court with your movement. Then everything combines and we get improvements easily too, like very quickly. Mm. I think it's, it's uh, what I see a lot as well is that people don't really have a structure. Like you mentioned, like these programs, one of the things I like is that I can – I put them on my mobile and I, I do them in my office before I go to the tennis court. I, I usually warm up that way or do some mobility. So I'm always like ready to go uh, trying to do that as well. Um, but I see, I, I see a lack of structure in any kind of uh, way they yeah. play. They just go to the tennis court and they could be decent players, but they, they it just, maybe they have a jog around. That's all. Uh, even, even like very good players sometimes just have a jog and they, because they come from work or whatever. And, and, and then you just start hitting, you know, and they start okay. slotting the ball as, as hard as they can. And then you have other players that don't even warm up and they don't have any structure also when doing their drills, right? They just, they're, they're no thinking about what yeah. am I working on? Where am I hitting the ball to? And with what kind of, uh, what's my intent with every shot? Like, which is what the pros always work on. Like, what's the intent? With any ball they hit, they have a clear intent of what they're yeah. doing. No, um, definitely. Yeah, so I think it, it really helps you if you're physically ready and you have a, a structure around you're right the, the structure is the biggest thing that's i think what um when we started developing our online programs that was that, that the main focus for us is how can we provide structure that's going to work for the majority of players out there for the recreational players that don't have a lot of time so normally when we schedule our our planning our training plans into the programs we give people different options so we'll have, okay, we'll go back to talking about weaknesses. If your weakness is your is strength, if your weakness is your movement, we generally give people different training plans that they can follow to target that 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 weakness. And then we have like a, a general training one, which will probably have, it'll have like a strength component, a movement component, a power component, 
And people can say, okay, I can only train two or three times a week. So they can take those sessions and they can utilize them at the right time and they're following some structure. And we find the feedback that we get from people is I was doing my own training for a long time. As soon as I got this structure, they get confidence from it. They don't have to think about it. They just follow a system. Mm. Um, and that's really where we get results because at the end of the day, tennis is a very complex sport. I think it is the most challenging sport in the world because you need to do it regularly. It's got to be super consistent to get growth and improvement. And the physical and the technical components, I mean, how it's, it's you know yourself, you play at a good level. The technicality side of it, it's, it's endless. You, even, the, you know, Novak's still trying to get better at things now where you look at it, a lot of other sports, you get to the professional level, you're just focusing on staying there. These guys are constantly just have to get better. So you can imagine for the recreational player, they're battling frustration because they can't slice well enough because they can't get in the right position um, and then they run out of energy so everything starts to get worse in their game during that time so mm -hmm. it's challenging so having the structure is really important um, and that's what we found is what people have responded really well to that yeah i know i know i know that um so is there anything i mean you work with countless pro players Leighton hewitt and and uh so many on, on the top level is there anything that kind of club level players can copy from the guys you worked with like i mean uh guys like Leighton, they're absolute beasts so maybe it's not that easy to to imitate him but uh maybe there's some some other like tips that they can follow i'll tell you like some basic things and this might be a couple of answers that people mightn't expect. Um, the majority of professional players are, are very organised and they're very prepared. So Leighton, I trained him for 10 years and he did not show up late once oh. and he never forgot it. One day he forgot his towel for a session and he came in, he was like in a panic. I forgot my towel, I forgot my towel. I was like, it's okay, mate. And he was really upset with himself. He forgot his towel, but he always he's like OCD as well, <laughs> like not rough. Barely had his water, but that's how focused these these players are. Now, yeah. does that cost anything? It doesn't cost anything, does it, to be prepared and organised? No. Just you know, they they are generally like that because what they're doing means so much to them. The passion is so strong that they're, they're mm. focused on it all the time. So you know, being being prepared, and that means. You know, preparing your body, having your sessions organised so you're not turning up at the court and going, oh, who am I hitting with or what's going on and those sorts of things. So being prepared, being organised. Um, the other the other main point that I want to talk about is the intent um, and the attitude of professional players. So having now, now predominantly we work with... Um, Junior players, recreational players, we don't really do much work with the professional players because we, we don't, we've got young kids. We don't really want to be traveling around on the tour. Um, so we more consult to players at various times if we don't sort of work with them all the time. So we've seen what happens at the top level and now we're dealing with junior players and recreational players. The main thing that we've seen over the past five years, it's the attitude and the intensity that they do things at. So once again, to train with a good attitude and being positive and being almost like aggressive with, with your training, it costs us nothing. And I always think 
why don't more people train like that? Because it's free. It's like a gift. If you have mm. the ability to get onto the court, there's millions of people in the world that don't have that opportunity. We almost need to go on and think this is a blessing to be here. Make the most of that opportunity. Push yourself as hard as you can. Get up, get on there with the right attitude. Believe in yourself. Everything just stems from that. Um, so there are two points that I guess aren't necessarily physical things that um, recreational players can do that the pros do. I think yeah. from, a, from a physical um, perspective, um, just being consistent with your training. I think if you're ticking the boxes, you're preparing your body, you're following a good structure, a training structure, and you're doing some form of recovery, you're really not going to go wrong. If you're doing those three things consistently, even if even three or four times a week, if you're doing those things, you're going to get really positive results. If you do them for a couple of weeks and then you don't, you're not going to really move anywhere. So being consistent with your training um, is really what it takes as well. And that's why these players can play at this level for a long time. They do 80% of the work away from the court to make them play better the 20% of the time they are on the court. How, how much, uh, curious, I got a question from, from uh, one follower. How much does um, a pro player train? I mean, is there an, I mean obviously they, they have a different approach depending on the player. Uh, but I mean, how, how much tennis and fitness do do like a professional player get in during a normal day? Do you, think? Oh. Do you know from experience? During, during um, like a, a pre-season or a training block, they normally hit three hours a day. Um, it'd be quite intense. Mm -hmm. so that that's not including warming up. That'd just be three hours of actually hitting, and that's you know in a bit of a building phase leading into like a big tournament swing or something like a Grand Slam run. And then off court, there'd be an hour, maximum hour and a half. And then there'd be a lot of recovery around that. I'm talking probably like with Leighton, he'd finish a session, ice bath, eat, and I would massage him every day. Um, mm. So his recovery process would be an hour and a half, maybe two hours every day he would do. And then he'd, during parts of his career, he'd also have a hyperbaric chamber at night. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, so, and, but there are a lot of things that recreational players can do to help with recovery that they don't have to have a hyperbaric chamber. It's, it's, that's more like the one percenters, right? But they can foam yeah. roll, they can stretch, they can do some yoga. Um, those things don't cost them anything to do. They just got to get some kind of an idea and some kind of a plan to follow. And, yep. and they're often racing. It's going to help them feel better the next day. Um, I always think, I don't like to use the word now recovery because players think recovery, it's like the past. I'm dealing with something that I've just done and sometimes they might, they've lost the match. They don't want to stay in that moment. They don't want to think I'm recovering from that loss. So we talk now about everything's about preparation. As soon as mm. you finish the session, you're pretty much preparing for the next one. So that involves, yep, we've got to do your ice bath, we've got to do your stretching, we've got to do your massage, you've got to eat, you've got to hydrate, you've got to sleep. That's your preparation for tomorrow. It's not recovering from that, it's preparing for what's next. So it gives, it, it's a different attitude. Um, and so that's a good way for people to look at it. Once you walk off court or you've done a session, 
you know, think about preparing for the next one. Yeah, and it's, I like that approach because it also sounds more positive. Like you're actually yeah. preparing, looking forward to the next session instead of dwelling whatever you what happened in the day uh, that passed, right? So I think that's always positive. Even if you want a match, I think it's good to always kind of, okay, let's leave that. And I have to prepare now for the next thing. I think yeah. that's a good like lesson in life in general to have. Like there's always the next day, right? Uh, so you always need to get ready for that instead of dwelling what happened on that day. Yeah. But in, like in, in tournaments, players won't really, um, even Leighton, who he loved to work every day, he loved, you know, he could do hours and hours of exercise. He just loved it. But in tournaments, he he just didn't want to do much at all, which I respected. Um, he did enough. Like he, he, so the way we, to answer your question, the way this is what we do with our players, this is what we recommend. And with some of our online programs, we have a tournament training plan in the programs so what would happen is six days out we would recommend players to do um more like a heavier session so like a speed session and then five days out we would get them to do like a strength session that gives them more time to recover before the match yeah before their first match and then um four days out they would do some agility Three days out, they would do some like light power work, some plyometric work with long rests in between. And then two days out, they do some foot speed just to keep their neuromuscular system really engaged and stimulated. And the day before would be more just doing some really easy injury prevention work, so some shoulder work, some, some light core work, some glute work, work on the flexibility, the mobility a little bit more. And then the, then the, next, then the next day they play, and then if they lose first round, well, we pick up six, six days out, boom, let's go again. Rather than players just going, oh, what am I going to do? I'm just going to go on the treadmill. So we found that that's we, – we find that when we give players that, the players that we work with online, we give top, mainly top juniors from around the world, they really respond well to that because they go, okay, yep, I lost first round. But I'm preparing for tomorrow and I'm going to get, I'm going to do my six day out program. And it starts, it helps them just keep moving along rather than just doing nothing and waiting, just hitting balls and then playing the next match. So that's what yeah, the other players we've worked for in the past. We give them that structure. Some of them, it takes a bit of time for them to get used to it um, because they don't like to do too much. But once they get used to it, they go, yeah, no, I feel really good. I feel great doing it and, and I enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. You want the player, I guess, to understand like how good it feels. I mean, that, that might take a while, but e even for any kind of level player that you that you're always when you're trying to get people to exercise more or trying to get the more and more kind of positive path, uh, it, the, the first time it's never you're never going to get that feeling right. You need to get into over break that barrier of when you understand how nice exercise can feel you need to get across that barrier uh, let's say you don't exercise at all or i mean i have a few friends that i'm trying to get more into kind of working out every day um but until you get to that barrier you, you don't understand it's not like you don't feel the benefits as much yeah it's just a, it's just a chore right but when you get past that barrier it's a, it chain can change your life really and i think that's how you have to build your structure around the tennis as well right i think when players get to the point and they feel they need it that's that's good yeah, you know when they feel like I need I need to do that because I know my body responds positively and also for my mind it's great. That's really when we get them there, the motivation's there. 
Um, we don't have to keep trying to educate them on it. Then we go, okay, great. Now they understand it. Now they're going to do it forever. And that's really what we try to get people to is that point of understanding. Yeah, it sounds, uh, sounds great. Um, uh, one question we talked about before uh, we started was how the, the long quarantine, the hard quarantine for some players affected them in, during the past Australian Open that just ended. Um, and you had some interesting thoughts about that. Like, how much do you think they affected the players? So I think there were around 70 players in, in hard lockdown there. Well, look, if we look at Jen Brady, I mean, she, she made the final of the Aussie Open. She was in hard lockdown and she didn't hit. She wasn't even, you know, a lot of the players were pushing the mattress up and hitting the ball into the mattress. And she said she took the opportunity to um, work on areas more on her mental capacity. So she connected with a lot of other athletes, she said, um, a, lot of, a lot of other high-end athletes, and basically just try to brainstorm and, and help each other and, you know, get some insight into how each other do things. Um, and obviously she came out and whatever happened to her in there worked really well. But then there's a lot of other players. I don't think really many of the top players were, were heavily affected. They all seemed to come out and do well. But I think with a lot of the, the you know, the lower ranked sort of top 100 players, I think a lot of them seem to have struggled um, with the isolation. And I think a lot of it for them is they probably didn't have um, as big a teams around them as well. So they didn't have that support network. They might have just had a coach with them where a lot of the top, you know, the top 20 players, they would have had a coach, a manager, a trainer, physio. So they had more of a support team that they could they could bounce things off. They could they could talk to and because um, there's a difference with speaking to someone face-to-face or being in the same situation as someone that's in it with you. Um, but, yeah, physically... It, look, it would have been hard because you've got to think as well, a lot of players were coming from really cold environments and all of a sudden they were coming to Australia and they were, they were in the hot environment. They couldn't actually really acclimatise and hit on the court. So they missed that two-week opportunity to get used to hitting in the heat and all of a sudden they were bang out of quarantine on court hitting against players that potentially have had that extra, you know, 10 days to two weeks of being acclimatising. I think that that impacted a lot of them, and I don't think that was talked about much because I don't think a lot of people had the foresight to realise that. Mm. Um, you know, and that affects you know hydration and your energy levels because you are semi dehydrated and and all of those things, and not being able to train hard during the quarantine and and hit balls. I mean, you can imagine mentally what that does to a high end athlete. It's like saying a basketballer, okay. You know, you're going to come out and play the NBA finals, but first you're going to go into quarantine for two weeks. You can bounce a ball around in the hotel room. You can shoot some hoops into a garbage bin in there. But then you've got to come out and you've got one week to get ready for the NBA finals. And, you know, it's it, it, it was challenging for them. Some players responded well um, mm. and, and, and they turned it into a real positive. I think they got a lot of growth out of it. And then a lot of players, I think, you know, we're doing the whinging and the complaining and, and I think it ate away at them and they probably didn't respond as well mentally and physically as they could have. Yeah, and there's also an aspect of it that, that I mean, this year will be also very strange for a lot of the players. They need to, you know, plan their year properly. They don't know if the, 
one tournament is going to happen. They don't know the full calendar even at this point. Um, and they might be in other bubbles, like other bubble life uh, in a few tournaments or whatever they create there. So they have to really work on their mental and physical side and, and being, you know, having a clear idea of what to do when they're in this kind of quarantine situation because it might not be the only one, right? Definitely. There's a lot of uncertainty around. And I think that goes for everybody. I mean, we're talking about professional tennis players that make a lot of money playing a sport that they love and a lot of people would love to be in their situation. So I don't think we can be, you know, overly sympathetic because there are people in a lot worse situations than that. Yeah, yeah, of course. But in saying that, there is a lot of uncertainty around for them. But I think now the fact the vaccines are starting to roll out in a lot of countries um, a lot of the players are going to start to get vaccinated. So they're probably going to feel like, well, I know that I'm not going to get it. And if I do go into quarantine, that's okay. But at least I know I'm not going to get it and be stuck in a country that I'm not, I don't have family around and et cetera. So that's probably a bit of comfort for players. Um, and I think, you know, things, I don't think things are going to get worse. I think things will get better by the middle of this year. And I think, you know, by next year, I think things should be pretty much back to normal, but who knows? Yeah. Now let's hope. Fingers crossed. Let's be, I mean, I think it's always good to be positive, right? That's, that's how we have to be. And that's what tennis players have to be as well. Like you have to have a positive mindset and not, um, not kind of dwell on the negative stuff that goes on in your situation. Otherwise you can't perform like no, nobody with a positive negative mindset can play well on tennis in a, on a tennis court. I think so. It's, yeah. All right, Nathan, it's very late for you, so I don't want to yeah. kind of stick you on this no, Zoom call no forever. Thanks for your time, <laughs> and I just want to let your community know, um, once again, you know, you guys are in very good hands with, with Jonas and his team. Uh, wish you all the best. We're looking forward to our, you know, future um, connections with each other, and just want to let everyone know that if you are interested in any of our online programs, Jonas has some information on those. You can check them out through his platforms um we'd love to help as many of you out as we can but he he'll he'll give you some information on that and uh yeah we look forward to uh chatting again with you and hopefully to um letting some of your clients experience what what we do as well yeah no i can't recommend it enough having i mean increased my tennis from playing normally two twice a week over the last one two years to playing every day almost yeah, uh, has really made it clear to me how much you need a 360 approach you need to really have a clear structure work with a program uh, and most people they don't they only have themselves they don't have a physical trainer and a yeah. team like like some tennis pros so you need to be able to have at least uh, a good idea of what you're doing and, and your programs really helped me. So I, I think I, I can uh, easily recommend and I hope other people try that as well and work on their mental side and what, what not to, to improve. Right. All right, All right man. man. Thanks for your time. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Nathan. We'll keep in touch. Okay, bye.